All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is the podcast. WTF, welcome to it. I'm the host. It's my show. Broadcasting from my new studio next to my house in my garage. Nicer garage than the old garage. For those of you who've been around a bit, I've got the panels up. They've uh, got panels bolted into the ceiling. It was very hard. It was hard to to let the drills enter the drywall, you know? I mean, you get this. I put, I put a lot of money into this joint in the sense that I had no choice but to make it an apartment. So if somebody needed to live in my studio, they could. But I was I was wary. I thought maybe we could just Velcro the shit up top, the panels. But I got my guy, Julian. He made the smaller boxes. It's cozy in here. The sound is good. I'm thrilled to be out here. It's nice. It's exactly what I wanted it to be when I when I conceived of it, when I bought this house, before I had to build another house next to it within the garage that was a garage. Had to build a house. Fuck, man. Tomorrow night, folks, Friday, I'm in Orlando, Florida at Hard Rock Live. Then Tampa, Florida, on Saturday at the Straz Center. Then the final four dates, Portland, Maine at the State Theater on February 20th. That's a Thursday. Providence, Rhode Island at Columbus Theater, Friday, February 21st. New Haven, Connecticut at College Street Music Hall, Saturday, February 22nd. And Huntington, New York at the Paramount, Sunday, February 23rd. You can go to WTFPod.com slash tour for links to all the venues. Today on the show, I talked to a kid named Brett Smurz. Pretty sure that's how you say it. Smurz. Now, look, he's a stunt driver primarily, a stunt person. He's also a one-legged guy. Lost a leg in a, oddly, not a stunt accident. But we'll get into that. And the reason I'm having him on is that it, my interest was uh, spurred by uh, Shauna Duggins, who is the stunt coordinator for GLOW, told me about this uh, mythic family, the Smurfs family. They're like stunt royalty. And we reached out to uh, to Brett. He's the guy named after his uncle, who I believe was uh, killed during a stunt. But uh, it's just we're dealing a little bit occasionally when we can with these people that are behind the scenes that do other type of work than act or direct or be funny or write. Men and women putting their lives on the line for that uh, for that drive in Fast and Furious 5 to look authentic. They're putting their life on the line for Jason Stratham to, to look good. Who, by the way, I saw at the Vanity Fair party. I, I saw, yep, I did. I, I will tell you more about that momentarily. And I do want to say that I thought all the Oscars were solid. I enjoyed the show. Uh, there were some funny bits in there. I thought Maya Rudolph and Kristen Wiig were genius. Very good. I mean, you got to look at that the ceremony with a grain of salt. It is what it is. But I thought I thought most of the awards were right on the money. And uh, I thought the show itself was fine. Uh, many, Some of you may not know, I enjoy watching the Oscars. I love the folly of it. I like looking at the celebrities. I never thought I'd be friends with him, though. I never thought I'd be going to the Vanity Fair party in my life. Then you get, I look at him and I talk to him right to their face. I talk to him in here, too. But I still like watching it on TV. I like seeing how people dress. I, I'm, that's, I guess that's my, my, my guilty pleasure, my soft spot. 
It just is. So, yes, I decided to go to the party, even though, oh, man, I think when I, I you know what, my, my new suit, some of you have been through this with me before, and I'm just going to be, you know, transparent about this stuff. This isn't like I'm not star fucking and I'm also not name dropping. This is just the life I'm living right now. And believe me, I did not think I would be living this life. That, that I will tell you. Now, many of you know I have one black suit that I spent a lot of money on, and I have, I've only worn it maybe a, not even a dozen times, and I noticed my, my Tom Ford suit has a little hole in it, and I, I investigated it. I looked closely at it. I had a little smudge on it. It looked like a burn hole, and I think, you know, I don't want to point fingers, but, like, it's a little burn hole, and it's noticeable, and that suit was a fucking fortune, so now i got to figure out what to do. I haven't even taken it to the cleaners yet. I cannot have nice shit. Anything I have that's nice, a guitar, I'll fuck it up. I'll scratch it up within days. A car, I'll fucking wreck it uh, within weeks of having it. Shoes, fuck them up. Pants, whatever. This suit cost a fucking fortune. I thought it would have it for life. I could wear it forever for any occasion instead of a tux or any fancy thing. And now it's got this miniature burn, burn hole in it. And I'm pretty fucking sure Joaquin Phoenix burnt it when I was at the premiere of The Joker. He was smoking and he, he hit me with that cigarette and he fucking burned a hole in my Tom Ford suit. Now, I know he only wore one suit uh, for the entire award season. And I'll tell him right now, I only own one suit and it's an expensive suit. And I'm pretty sure he burnt a hole in it. So I'm not saying he owes me, but uh, it's just a little hole. It's like an ash hole, but I'm pretty sure it's his hole. And I'm just putting that out there. Now my one suit, not wearing one suit, my one suit is fucked up because of of his bad habit. I'm pretty sure. I was trying to think who else I've been around smoking. I'm pretty sure before we went on the red carpet or right around that area, he was fucking, you know, smoking one. And that's all I'm saying. I'm not looking for money. I'm not looking for a handout. Though I do need to get that fucking thing fixed. And apparently there are weavers that can do that kind of work. Now I get to learn about that, about the meticulous micro-weavers. That's what I get to learn about. So very happy about all the awards. I told you that. And I went to the Vanity Fair party, and it was pretty exciting. I was kind of like, as many of you heard, I was not feeling great after the uh, Indie Spirit Awards, whatever. But then I go to this party, and I didn't go last year because I thought, like, I had nothing to do with the Oscars. But it turns out no one at the fucking party even went to the Oscars except for the people that were on the Oscars for the most part. Everyone else is just invited. I saw a bunch of fucking people I knew there, a bunch of friends there, a bunch of celebrities. And, and a lot of this, the big stars came later. We went over there at like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. We were there for like uh, an hour and a half, which was enough. I met Kerry Washington because uh, Lynn just worked with her on a Little Fires Everywhere. Uh, I rubbed I rubbed up against, not in a weird way, but just trying to get by Marty Scorsese, but I did not talk to him because he was talking to Patty Clarkson, who said hi to me after Martin Scorsese walked away. She's been on the show. I met Will McCormack, who's an actor and a TV producer that Lynn's working with. Michael Keaton and I uh, chatted a bit about the movie that uh, he's in, uh, that I have one line in, barely, but uh, we talked a lot about that and about his first, about his appearance on WTF with Judd Apatow, who was standing there. Dave Spade was there, but I see him all the time at the Comedy Store. Maxine Waters, Congresswoman Maxine Waters uh, was there, and I said, thank you. Thank you for your service, Congresswoman. She goes, we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep giving it to him, sticking it to him. 
Whitney Cummings, who I did not recognize because she was so stunning uh, that night, uh, was there. Ray Romano, of course, the funny man and turned actor, very good actor. Pete Berg, the director of Spencer Confidential, which is a movie and uh, the creator of Friday Night Lights. But uh, more recently, Spencer Confidential, which I'm in, and it looks like I made the cut on that. I'll also be talking to Pete on the show here. Daniel Levy. Now, as you know, I spoke to Dan Levy, um, who is not Daniel Levy from Schitt's Creek. Dan Levy is a comedian and showrunner of Indebted. Uh, Daniel Levy, Eugene Levy's son and Schitt's Creek creator. I uh, talked to him. I said, come on the show. We got to even it up. I need, to, I need to end the confusion. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. Talked to him. Uh, Mark Marin fan. We go back. Uh, Hamilton, uh, lovely man, uh, we chatted. This is at the Vanity Fair party. This is what was going on. This is a community shindig, man. Taika Watiti said, Marin, and I walked by him. Utkarsh Ambudkar is a big fan of the show. I enjoyed his work in uh, Brittany Runs a Marathon, and I'm going to have him on this show. Nick Kroll saw him. His uh, girlfriend, Lily Kwong, I met her for the first time, who who uh, who claims the show helped her out a lot, which I'm I'm happy that that happened. Uh, Ray Seahorn, who I love, who uh, I should probably have on the show. Ronan Farrow, I met and talked to a bit. He's going to be on the show soon. John Lovett, who I've, I've done shows with him. He's he was with Ronan Farrow and is with Ronan Farrow. Joni Mitchell was there. Did not talk to her. She was just sitting there. And no one seemed to bother her. Sarah Silverman, of course. Bill Maher, I tried to communicate with for a moment. Very difficult. You're dealing with a a, 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 a fairly weighty curtain of weed uh, between you know his face and his brain. Um, but uh, you know he locked in. He remembered me. He knows I did his show. And then he wondered if I had worked together with him on the road. I have not. James Corden, very pleasant. Love him, was there. Patton Oswalt and his wife, Meredith, very pleasant. Uh, Joanna Newsom and Andy Samberg, both been on this show. Not really talking to me much, friends of my ex-girlfriend. Bob Odenkirk, always there to uh, to be parental. So what have you got going on now? What are you working on, uh, Odenkirk? Connie Britton, Keegan-Michael Key, and his wife, they were talking to her, and I get it, yep. Tony Hale, Great. That's, that was the best moment, Tony Hill. And I'll explain that to you in a minute. Uh, someone that we talked to is not on, is not on this list. Now I'm trying to remember who. I, oh, uh, Elizabeth um, Banks. Yeah. It was an amazing night. Oh, and um, Griffin Dunn was running around. A lot of uh, past guests, friends, new people to meet, people I asked to be on the show. And, oh, Jason Stratham. I watch at this party, they have people, women in from In-N-Out Burger, dispatched from In-N-Out Burger, walking around with fucking full cheeseburgers, whole cheeseburgers, just walking around with with um, trays of, tre- of, of In-N-Out cheeseburgers. I fucking inhaled one. And then we were out back. I was outside. I was getting ready to leave. And I watched um, Jason Stratham just eat a cheeseburger. Should have recorded it. He didn't do it quickly. It was not complicated. It was not menacing. There didn't seem to be any real sort of, it was not exciting, but uh, I saw it. I watched it. I watched the whole thing. So maybe it was compelling. 
I watched him eat the whole cheeseburger. He didn't notice me, but uh, I was watching. So as I was waiting to leave, we were on our way out. Uh, Brad Pitt and his crew come walking out. His mom, I believe, is with him and some other people, and they're they're walking out. I'm, we're about to leave. We're waiting for the to get the the car, and Brad Pitt comes bounding out, and uh, I look at him like Brad. He's like Marin. And I said, congratulations, man. That was great. I'm proud of you, buddy. Good job. He said, thanks, pal. And then a Vanity Fair photographer come, comes running up picture. And I'm like, hell yeah. And he and Brad was like, yep. We took the picture. And he 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 just ran off. And they had his uh, uh, escalator, big limo. It was right there, right down the stairs. Mine, we had to walk over a thing and under a thing and across the way. And that's where we saw Tony Hale, who I think we we saw him. I'm like, what's up? He's like, I'm leaving. And he's like, I just got here. I can't do it. So I think Tony was there for like three seconds and just was leaving. I thought that was very, very Tony Hale of him. So that was that evening. Great evening. Had In-N-Out Burger, had some uh, fancy uh, pizza there, had a bit of a, a, a fancy corn dog thing, some bad desserts. But these are all bite-sized things. But the In-N-Out Cheeseburger, to be honest, really the best moment of the night. Even after meeting and hanging out and talking to all those lovely people, I met Joel Silver, the big producer guy from way back in the day. And he was uh, brusque, brash, brash. I had a realization about that, though. He was he was talking to Whitney Cummings, and uh, I'm like, I thought the show was good. He's like, no, I thought it was fucking terrible. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, there was some funny bits. He's like, whatever. I'm like, well, when was the last good one in your mind? It's like, good question. I don't know. And then I realized, like, these guys who were a little older than me or 10 years older than me, 20 years older than me, the boomers, the real boomers, you know, it's like, they, it's not for them anymore. Their generation is gone. There's no Jack Nicholson sitting up front. There's not that whole generation. They're not even there anymore. Hardly any of them. I remember them from when I was a kid. That was something you look forward to. But there's a whole new bunch of people now. You know, and it's like they their judgment weighs so heavy that generation because they still dictate a lot of culture and they still refuse to go away. And I know I'm the tail end of it, but I'm 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 exiting. I'll I'll be gone. I know when to I know when I've overstayed my welcome. But the point is, it's like my mother's boyfriend. It's always a sort of like it was a different time. It was a different time. Yeah, it's over. That time is done like any other time for any other generation of old fucks. It passes and you just got to suck it up, man. Instead of raining on the goddamn parade for every other generation. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was a different time. Exactly. It's over. This is the new time. Adapt or die. Right? Dig it. Yeah? Okay. So... This guy that I talked to right now, Brett Smurz, has been doing stunts in dozens of movies and TV shows over the past decade. A lot of Marvel movies. He's Paul Rudd's double in Ant-Man. He was a stunt driver for Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, When we talked, the Michael Bay film Six Underground had just come out. Brett did some pretty spectacular driving stunts in that film. And you can check it out on Netflix if you want to see what this guy does. It's crazy. This is me talking to Brett Smurz. So, I just watched the beginning of uh, Six Underground. Now, you're driving that car. 
Yes. The green car. The green alpha. Mm-hmm. And that's really Florence, Italy. Yep, it was. All the streets of Italy. Florence, Italy was most of it. Um, they went to Siena and they went a few other places, but all the driving scenes that I did was in Florence. Now, what, see, like, I don't, like, I don't make movies like that. I don't, uh, I don't really act in movies like that. And uh, it seems to be completely, the entire pace of the film is driven by stunts and driven by the driving. So it has to look pretty real. And, but they could just do it another way, couldn't they? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's always ways around it to make it look fake and stuff. Yeah. But most of the stuff that we did was pretty was practical. I mean, there was some CG Practical spots, meaning but... that uh, you're hands-on, like real. Yes, real. That's, that's what practical means. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So there was a few shots that they added, you know, some CGI, but not not many. Most of that stuff was all real, and we did it all for real and practical. And Well, I mean, when you're driving through, uh, which museum was it? Well, we we did the Uffizi Museum. That, right. was, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> but you did, so you did that. But when you go into that thing, it's not the real museum, is it? So here's the thing. So we broke into the door, and there yeah. was there was a museum, and it wasn't when we broke through the door. It wasn't the Uffizi specifically, right. right? But we did drive around the Uffizi, and we did go through a museum. When I came through that door, it was all real. There was a real statue, and I yeah. had to avoid it. And if yeah. I didn't, we were in big big trouble, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it was very tight spot. Like so it was like a real historical. Statue? It was. I can't remember exactly which museum that was right. um, for that shot, yeah. but it was it was very old, <laughs> and they they made very very sure that we were not going to hit that. But thing. it seems like that's uh, you know that uh, like most of Italy is like that. Yes, that in terms of like destroying historical artifacts, the possibilities were endless. Yes, I, there was actually I did um I drove a, a few other cars other than the green car. There was a, a crash sequence in the very beginning, uh, and I did a flip. And yeah. I was crashing the car and. They didn't want us to touch the grass, and unfortunately, it didn't all go to plan, and we went over the grass, and that was that was a big... The grass was a big the deal? The grass was a big deal. So, every, like you said, everything in Italy is very historical. They love everything. They don't want anything ruined. So, right. it was very much like we had to take care of everything. But that's we, such a gamble. It's such a risk. So, you're working like Michael Bay's directing the thing. Is he out of his mind? No, I. You know what? I really like Michael. He I don't was, know anything about him, but like, it's just like I just see the hierarchy. Like, there's a guy at the top who is him, who's used to doing these type of movies, and then it just sort of goes down from there. And he's saying like, I need this car to spin, and these guys to fly into a van, and I need blood and everything else. And then there's a whole army of people under him that make that happen. Absolutely. So he, he the way he operates is he'll go on set. He knows exactly what he wants. He, yeah. He'll he'll think about what exactly want what he wants. And then he'll go on set and he'll tell everyone, hey, this is what I want. And if people don't listen and they don't do what they're supposed to or they're yeah. not paying attention, yeah. that's when he'll, you know, he'll get into his mode and he'll, you know, he'll get really serious. But otherwise, if you're doing your job and you're paying attention, you do what he wants, then he's really like he's a good guy. He's a good person to work for. And I really I enjoyed it. Honestly, he was very serious. And it, well, I mean, you sort of have to be. You have yeah. to feel safe. Like I've only talked to one other stunt person. I talked to uh, Sean and Duggins, okay. mm-hmm. who, uh, who is the coordinator for GLOW, which I'm on. And, you know, I talked to her, you know, how she came into stunt work and just, you know, the care that has to have, you have to trust the situation. You have to make sure the situation is sound, right? Absolutely. Before you go into something. But, like, with her, she just, like, she just found out that she, she, she didn't plan to be a stunt person for her whole life. She wanted to be an actress and she came into these, she had a certain skill set and she met a certain bunch of people and she ended up in it. But you're like, uh, your whole family's in it. That's right. Yeah, my dad, my uncle. Now, your dad is Brian or, Bre- or Brett? My Wait, dad is Greg Smurfs. Greg Smurfs? Mm-hmm. And your uncle was Brett? 
My, so I have my uncle Brian Smurz, and yeah. he had a twin brother, and his name was Brett Smurz, who I was named after. So right. He, he ended up, he had an accident in, I think, 1987 or 1988. It's very hard to find your IMDb among all the other Smurz. Yes, it was. <laughs> and there's also his, uh, Brett Smurz's IMDb is also still there, so some people get it mixed up. Right, and, right. I, I mean, I, I, I genuinely, uh, I couldn't find yours. Is that possible? That's terrible. <laughs> I need to work on that. <laughs> well, I mean, there was a couple. There was didn't seem to be enough options. So, okay, so your dad is is he's a he's a big stunt guy. Like he's like one of the the main stunt guys. He is. He's he's up there. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. He's worked with you know Tom Cruise a lot. He's done a lot of in Mission the Mission Impossible. Didn't he didn't he climb that uh, building in Dubai? He did. Yes. What's I, that building called? It's called the Burj Khalifa. Uh, oh um, so I, I went up there with him. We got to sit up on top of it, and that was a pretty wild experience. Um, oh my god! Just was, sit up there. I got to sit up there with we, a rope. No, I mean we we were tied in. We oh, had tied we had in. a little harness on our right. on our waist, but it was we were going up there to scout it and make sure it was safe. Uh, Tom Cruise was going up there to do a photo shoot for uh, I think it was Time Magazine. Yeah, so we went up there and just scouted it, make sure it was okay, and uh, it was a it was a wild experience. I mean, it was I, half a mile in the air, just sitting up there, and you look down and it's like insane. And I'm, you can't... I'm I'm getting freaked out just hearing about it. <laughs> I mean, but no fear. I had, you know, I I'm not the greatest <laughs> with heights, but I got over it after about yeah. ten minutes. Like sitting up there for ten minutes. The thing that was really tripping me out was that it sways left and right because it's so windy and yeah. so skinny, and it's high up in the air. So right, it moves like ten feet back and forth. Oh so that was God. really what was tripping me out. But and your dad, well, your dad's name's what is your dad's name? It's Greg Smurf. Greg with two G's, and don't forget the second G. Right, <laughs> or there's gonna be trouble. There will be trouble. Now, like, okay, so. You grow up in this, but what was his was your grandfather in show business? No, so the my 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 grandmother was an actress and a model, so she she was in that kind of industry and then my my brother, I'm sorry, my dad and his brothers wanted to do stunts, so they moved to New York and they started off in New were York. They, did they they grew up here? They grew up in Philadelphia. Oh, in Philly. Mm-hmm. So they were East Coast boys, and then they, they moved to New York, started off there, and then they realized that Los Angeles was like the spot back then in the, in the 80s when they, or the 70s when they started. Yeah. L.A. was the spot to be, so they all moved. So they do you know how they got started in stunts? I mean, do you, I mean, do you know the story? I mean, outside, so they're in New York, they're in the film, probably the TV industry, or maybe they're doing shit for like some of the 70s movies that were being shot there. Is that how it worked? Yeah, I mean, so I think what they ended up doing is they, they went out there, they bought a bunch of like equipment, and they learned how to do rigging and fire safety and just all this stuff, and then they would go out and they- On their find, own? On their own, yep. yeah. I mean, they would meet other stunt people, and they'd learn things and then kind of practice on their right. own. So they'd go out and they'd go meet stunt coordinators and show them like, hey, this is you know this is what I can do. And eventually, it, I, back then the business was really super like super tight. Yeah. Like it was hard to break into. So, but the three of them together it kind of helped, they helped each other. And you know it was it was a lot of work back then to get into the stunt business. You had to be like very talented, very well rounded. You had to do everything. Really? And like, nowadays, like it's you almost, mean like you had to be able to uh, f- you know you know drive a car like. Like uh, like crate like uh, you have to, you have to be able to roll a car and ride a horse kind of deal. exactly yeah right. it's well rounded so right. they would do fire burns high falls car hits motorcycle jumps car <laughs> crashes anything you can think of they're they were crazy right. I, I, that's like I could never do all that stuff no they're, they're wild <laughs> but when you're growing up in that though right yeah yeah so I, like your dad's friends because I I mean I read this book uh, about Sam Peckinpah and about that crew there used to just be and also yeah if did you see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
I have the, not oh. seen that yet. No. Well, you know, he, you know, Brad Pitt plays a stunt guy, but I just got the feeling that back in the seventies and the like, even the fifties and sixties, that that the stunt guys were kind of the yahoos, like the test pilots and the right stuff. Just these crazy dudes that used to drink hard and hang out with each other and and kind of live on the edge. And I guess by the time your dad was getting into it. They were probably a little more responsible. A little bit, yeah. They, I, I think it was still a lot looser than it is now. Yeah. Back in the 50s, I'd say they got away with anything. Like right. it, was, it was anything goes. And then when my dad broke in, there was still a lot of really loose rules. They could get away with a lot of things. Now it's very, very like you can't really get away with anything these days. Like everything's recorded. You can't, you know. So like we're all, you know. It's recorded, ever- what do you mean? Well, just everything's you know, it's it's all you know. Oh, you there's only one you know. They're they're recording every take. You mean like back? Just everything's yeah, you yeah. know. Everything's everyone's got a cell phone, so everything right. can go on. You know, right, on, right. But people used to like go up in airplanes if they're gonna do jump out of a with a parachute. They yeah. like take some cocaine and jump out. Like that was wild back then. There was no rules. So <laughs> no and more, obviously I don't do any of that stuff. You know, but no more pre-jump bumps. <laughs> no, yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> but all right. So when you're when like when do you start? Being cognizant of of your dad's job. What's your mom do? Is she in the business? No. So my mom was a secretary, yeah. and that's how they met. She was a secretary, and she worked at um, a motorcycle shop. With my dad used to race motorcycles, and that's how they met. And then, so he was a motorcycle racer as a hobby. Yeah. Well, he used to do it professionally. He used to race against like Wayne Rainey and all those guys. He raced. It was the, called Formula One AMA racing oh, okay. back yeah. in the seventies. Yeah, so he yeah. was he was trying to do that professionally Bef- before the stunting. Yes, so he was doing racing and stunts at the same time. Yeah, and when he came to the point where he had to make a decision, it right. was it was kind of taking over each other. So he had yeah. to quit racing and do. Was stunts. he? Was he? Uh, uh, was he making money racing? No, uh, wasn't, he wasn't. But he was very fast. So, if, as from what I heard, he was very quick. Is he still he, riding. He does. He he actually works on the show Ride with Norman Reedus, so he does okay. all those, and he, he still rides all the time. He's a big cross-country rider, and he doesn't do, do like any track day stuff anymore, right, but right. I, I think he's still got it. When I follow him in the canyons, he's pretty quick. <laughs> yeah? You ride, too? I do, yeah. What kind of bike you got? I have a GS700 BMW. Yeah? yeah. Nice? You don't, you're not Harley guy? I like Harleys. I yeah. just never owned one. I'm really? sure if I drove rode one, I would I would really like it. But big probably... bikes. You're not out in the dirt. You're a street bike guy. Yeah, I mean, I've never done any dirt experience. Like I'm I'm all like canyons. Just go out, have fun, and right, you know, right, on the street. Exactly. Yeah. Not jumping over things. I'd love to go do a track day or something. That would be cool. Which too. is what? Like go out to a racetrack and, and take right. a bike out. And but go you're not going to go uh, fly over mountains and stuff. No, 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 no. I mean, I I would go have fun with it. But I, I, I like there's so, a stunt race called uh, the Hooper Classic. Like that's coming up next month. Yeah. I won't enter that because I'll probably go out there and kill myself. Right. You know? so, like, but so you don't do any motorcycle stunts? Not really, no. Oh. No, I'll, I'll leave that. So that's the thing. That's what I was getting at. It's yeah. like now the stunt world is kind of, you have like your your talent. Yeah. There's some guys that are very well-rounded and they yeah. can do anything. But there's like, say you need a motorcycle sequence. They'll they'll purposely seek out like who's the best motorcycle rider. And oh, right. And sure. they'll pick them. So oh, I see. Right. I don't want anything to do with it. It's like, dude, you, you can You're hire a driver? Them. I'm a driver. I do all driving, all car stuff. That's no, no jumping. No flying off of buildings. No, not not in my body. I'll I'll jump off a building in a car, no problem. But <laughs> but not not me personally. <laughs> but your dad will jump off buildings. Yeah, yeah, he would. I don't know if he would anymore. He's he's directing and moving on in the world. So oh, really? He's, yep. he's he's out of uh, he's not not doing any more. Uh, 
death-defying uh, stunts? Not. I mean, he'll do some stuff. Like he'll do driving. He'll crash a car. Or he'll light up on fire and get fully lit. You know, stuff like that. But it's, it's what, not as crazy as it looks. Like yeah. when you see someone fully lit, they got three layers of fire protective gear. Sure. They got gel. So it's you know it it looks scary, but it's yeah. pretty safe. You know, right. we try and keep everything as safe as possible. Well, you still got to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's still in your brain. <laughs> so do you have brothers and sisters? I have a sister. Mm-hmm. Is she in the big racket too? No, she is. Uh, she lives in uh, Texas. Yeah. She's married. She's got three kids. Oh, and no, no stunt. No. Uh... No stunts. No. Nope. She she kind of had the the bug for a little bit, but then oh really? She, yeah. She she wa- really wanted to be like a stay at home mom and and all that stuff. And, right. Um, her husband's in the military. And he travels a lot. Okay. So so re- regular life ish. Yep. Yep. All right, so now you're you're growing up. When do you start? When do you first start to to realize that this is what your dad does? Does he ever? Was there any like um, growing up in a stunt family? Was there any uh, like did your uncle or anybody come to your birthday parties with flaming suits? Was there any sort of? I wish that would <laughs> like, have been awesome. <laughs> any stunts at home? But I mean, how, how, when do you start realizing this is the gig? That, so. So I started racing when I was 12 years old, and I was racing go-karts and open-wheel cars, and that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional race car driver, and that's what I was pursuing, and I was doing that until I was- Yes. I was racing go-karts like like nationally against people that were from- So you had one of those fancy fancy go-karts. Yeah. Real Mm -hmm. fast ones. Yep. It was like the pro circuit in the US. How how fast did they go, those go-karts? Those carts would go 100 miles an hour, and they were about an inch off the ground, so it felt like you're going way faster. That's crazy, man. Yeah, they were moving. They were they were definitely not slow. So this was just something you you wanted to do. You just were uh, you just had it in your blood to kind of go fast and do dangerous shit. Well, so my my dad bought me a cart for Christmas, oh, well, and then and he got he had the bug brought back to him because he quit motorcycle racing. And then when he bought the go kart, he was like, "Oh man, let's go racing!" And then once we started, I was like, <laughs> "We're not stopping. We're not stopping. This is way too much fun." So, but did you go to sets with him and stuff? Were you like, did you like experience that stuff as a as a young? person I, I did yeah like there was i'd go to a few like my dad was always traveling when i was a kid so yeah. he was gone probably 10 on months shoots. out of the year he would yeah he'd be on a movie for a long a long shot so yeah. um we'd go out and travel with him so i i went to like vancouver canada when he was working on paycheck i went to australia when he was working on mission impossible 2 like so did he do all those mission impossibles he did let's see he did the second one yeah he did ghost protocol and he did rogue nation yeah Wow. I, I'm just looking at his credits right now. I'm going to find yours in a minute. Yeah, he's got some pretty serious credits. He's been around for a while. And him and my uncle, between the two of them, it's they've got a pretty good They were the guys. Game. Yeah, they're they're pretty up there. My, and they do second unit directing now. And there's, I think they're both trying to break into the actual first unit directing realm. And I, they've gotten a few. Like that first unit is like right under the director director? No, that is, that is, like, the, director. That is the director. The yeah, guy so, who directs the movie. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So Brian has directed a few movies. Um, he did one with Cuba Gooding. I I think it was called Shadow Boxer. Uh-huh. So he did that one. He's done a few others. Um, he's still trying to break into it and get more of that. But I think for the most part, they're doing second unit directing. And I honestly, I think that's pretty cool. Like that, it's, oh, yeah, that's it's all the stunts and it's like yeah. a fun unit. So yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense after a certain point to to graduate to something. Right. Absolutely. You, yeah. you know, like you're gonna age out of throwing yourself off buildings and driving cars into walls, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> So what when when you were younger there, was there a point where you where you saw your dad do something either or was told that he did it and you were watching it where you're like holy shit 
you know that you know that's what I want to do, or that's my dad, or like, do you have a recollection of that? No, I don't. So it's kind of funny. My dad's very humble and he's very quiet and he doesn't really boast about stuff that he's done. So yeah. I don't even know a lot of the stuff he's done. Like I've seen photos of really? you know things, but <laughs> there was photos that I saw and I was like, damn, that's really cool. Like he's that's he was jump like he has a photo of him on a motorcycle jumping out of a subway and he's like five feet in the air. Yeah, sick. Yeah. Such a cool photo. Right. So that kind of stuff made me want to get into it. But I really wanted the race and. I didn't really think about doing stunts at all until racing was not an option anymore. What what happened? Well, it just got too expensive. It's such an expensive sport. Go-kart racing? Well, go-kart racing in general, it's expensive, but yeah. I was moving on to open-wheel cars, and I was going up the ladder. Open-wheel th- cars, what's that? So do you know what like an Indy car or a yeah. Formula One car is? Sure, yeah. It's It was like that, but yeah. way slower. Like, they would go 140, 150, like, not and you're top what, speed slower. 15 but or 16? How old are you when you're doing that? I was 14, 15. Uh, and those, I was, are your, those are real cars. They are, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I... <laughs> We moved to Idaho, and in Idaho, you can get your driver's license at 14. Right. And uh, you can't drive anyone in the car, but you can legally have your driver's license, and that was all it took, and I could just go race. Now, yeah. now I have a driver's license, and I can race anything. So right. That was kind of a bonus to living up in Idaho. How long did you live in Idaho? Five years. Why, why, why do you go to Idaho? My parents moved there for like real estate purposes. They wanted huh. to invest in real estate, and it act- it didn't end up working out. But we stayed there for five years, and then moved back to California. And you got your driver's license. Yeah, and I had my at driver's 14. license. <laughs> so you're driving race cars at 15. Yep. And what you, it became too expensive because you have to buy a race car. No, you don't. You can rent the car, and yeah. you can go through a team, and they'll prep it and bring it to the track and everything. It's honestly better that way. It's a lot of work to buy the car yourself and right. have to prep it, and it's. I mean, unless you know what you're doing, then yeah. it's a lot of work. Right. Um. So, uh, I'll put it this way: if you were racing Formula Fords for one season, it would cost about one hundred fifty thousand. That's grassroots. That's as low as it gets. Wow. Then you move up to Formula Ford two thousands, and it yeah. goes up to two hundred fifty thousand. Then you go up to Indy Lights, and it's now jumped to a million dollars. Right. Like it's the the pri- the jump the price range just jumps drastically. So once you get to a certain spot, you could keep racing that, but it's not going to get you anywhere. Right. And you could get your name out there kind of, but yeah. you really have to move and have the money to move up the ladder otherwise it's not going to work out. So, huh. and especially with open wheel, you have it's a young man's game. Yeah. So right now I'm 28. You're that's out? way too late. Really? For open wheel. I mean, I could jump into it, but I would have to go up the ladder slowly again. Right. And it would take Four years, you know, and I'd be 32 by the time I got to IndyCar. So wow, it's a so. tough, it's a tough business. And um, but you, the sports car world is very open. I mean, you can race that until you're 60, 70 years old. Oh, that's good. And there are guys out there doing it. So you get out of the racing racket and you're 14. I was actually 18. So I continued that until I was 18 years old. Now your uncle passed away before you were born. Yes, I never met him. You just heard about it. I heard what, about it. What um, was the stunt that that did it? So. So remember I said they moved to L.A., they were practicing yeah, stunts, trying yeah. to get their resumes up and stuff. So they, they used to just go out and practice things. So they right. they took an airbag, and they went down to Los Angeles, and they were practicing high falls. And where? They, Los Angeles? In Los Angeles, oh, okay, like on okay. 6th Street yeah, or whatever, yeah. one of those main streets. Yeah. And they, they set the airbag up, and they climbed the fire escape and got up on top of the, of the building, and they both, Brian and Brett, did a jump. And I, I think it was just... He went off backwards and just miscalculated and just missed. He missed the airbag and he he ended up dying. And um, I wasn't born yet, so my parents decided to name me after him. And so I'm continuing his legacy. <laughs> so you you were sort of destined. Yes. Now, yeah. When did you actively start trying to do stunts? So at 18. So oh. 18 years old, I realized that racing was kind of 
it was going to be very difficult to continue on. Yeah. Um, my parents were helping me fund it until I was 18, and when I turned 18, they they dropped it, and I was on my own trying to find sponsors and everything, and it's really, really tough, uh, especially with the racing is not televised, right. so there's no, you can't really get their name out without right. people being there watching, and right. there's not a lot of spectators. Now, were you winning? Yeah, I was. I was winning a lot. I actually, when I quit, uh, I won this scholarship called the Team USA Scholarship, Yeah, and that was the most prestigious open wheel prize that a young person could win. Right. Um, so I did that and I raced in England and I did this race called the formula Ford festival, which is the, one of the biggest races that they have in England. Yeah. Uh, a lot of famous racers, formula one drivers have raced that and done yeah. well. And I had a horrible, like, um, heat races and stuff. So I started the main event in last place in 28th, I think. Right. And I ended up getting third. So yeah. I came all the way through the field and, and got third. And that was one of the best races of my career. Yeah. And then I ran out of funds. Oh. And that was, that was pretty much that the was end. the end. <laughs> okay. So how do you decide to get, how did, what happened to your leg? <laughs> what happened? I don't know. It's gone. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where it went. Someone like, took it and stole like, it. Because it seems like, you know, we're talking about racing and stuff, but at some, po- at some point there's a story where you lost your leg. Yes. Uh-huh. And it wasn't, it clearly it wasn't stunts. There was a lot of stories that went around. Uh, a lot of people made rumors of how I lost it. No one actually. Like what? Knew, of how it happened in a car accident. Oh, really? It didn't. Um, no, I was a stunt guy. Yeah. So you figure like you got to, you must have lost doing a stunt. So I was, when I was younger, um, I did gymnastics from like three years old to 13. I was very into gymnastics. Uh, and I loved it. That's I was, what Sh- I think Shauna was into that too. Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. Shauna's you know, really talented. Yeah, she yeah. is an s- extremely talented woman. Yeah. And, like, uh, but like, you know, it seems like gymnastics is sort of a launching pad for the type of disposition that might, uh, uh, you know, lead to stunts. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. No, gymnastics is such great training. It's It teaches you body positioning and, like, if you're falling, even yeah. if you're not doing anything, you know, gymnastic-y, if you're just taking a fall, yeah. it helps because you know where your body is, right? right. How to fall properly. Right. So it, it really is a good stepping stone, and I think that's why my parents put me into gymnastics. <laughs> what, uh, to, so you wouldn't, so you'd know how to fall correctly, well, just in case. <laughs> I think my dad really wanted me to do stunts. He did. So he he was trying to get me, you know, really prep me for you it. You never asked him. He never told you. Not he never really. Said no. that. Yeah, I think I it was to... one of those like, if you want to do it, you got to show me, and you got to do it. So. All right. So they just want to make sure if you wanted to do it, you were, had everything in place. Right. But he never did gymnastics. Your old man, right? No, I don't no. think he did. Nope. So okay, so you, you're into gymnastics till you're like 13 or 14. Yep. So and, so I was I quit gymnastics. I hadn't yeah. done it for probably two years. Yeah. But I had st- I was still able to do things, and I was I was still had good body sense. And I yeah. could flip on trampolines and stuff. So I was over at my girlfriend's house at the uh-huh. time, and we were in Idaho. Uh-huh. And my buddy was like, "Hey, let's go off the balcony. Let's jump off the balcony to the trampoline." Yeah, and it was a pretty big jump. I mean, it like, was like this is a regular size trampoline. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. And it was right under the balcony, and oh. it was probably a twelve, thirteen foot drop drop to the trampoline. Yeah. So he gets up there and he climbed up, and you could either stand up on the railing or climb over and then jump off. Right, right. And if you climbed over it, that made like five feet less. Sure. Yeah. So he did that and he right. jumped off, and he right. was all fine and dandy. And I was like, man. I want to do a flip. You know, up, I've never done that before, yeah, so yeah. I'm doing it. A flip before or after you hit the trampoline? So it was before. Oh. So I flipped off of the balcony yeah. on top of the railing. It was a good, it was a big jump. Oh, oh man. And I landed it. I landed on my feet, but yeah. I was twisting, and when I landed, it just snapped my leg, and the rebound just 
completely jammed it and it was it was all mangled it was it didn't look bad but internally it was really screwed oh my god um so i ended up cutting the artery i damaged some nerve cut the muscle tissue my tibia got shoved up into my meniscus my knee ah, and it was jammed yeah all kinds of problems i had compartment syndrome which is when blood's coming in, not coming out. Ugh. So my leg was just swelling, swelling, swelling. So, and that's why I was like, I got to go to the hospital. You didn't, then, what do you mean? You didn't go to the hospital right after it happened? No. So I was 16. I was young, young and dumb. And I had a race coming up in a week. So I didn't want to tell my parents, hey, I just broke my leg being an idiot. You know, I, I, they, right. they would have killed me. Right. Um, and so I was like, man, I, maybe I just sprained it. I'll just wait it out. What? I didn't. It honestly, I think I was in shock, and mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't feel any pain at all. Right. Until about an hour, and then it started really hurting. Yeah. Um, the cut artery does not feel good. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. So, but I ended. I called my mom. She got me to the hospital. Um, I was in the waiting room for probably an hour and a half. Yeah. And then when they X-rayed me and realized how bad it was, I went into an immediate surgery, and that led into I had. Uh, nine surgeries in 13 days. To try to save it. To try and save it. Yeah. Um, let's see. The fifth surgery, they ended up taking it off. Um, but they didn't even realize that I had a cut artery for three days. So mm. it wasn't until the fourth surgery that they even tried to save my leg. Right. So my leg was already toast by then. Oh. Uh, you only have six hours to save an artery. Oh, okay. And it took them three days. Right. So it, my leg was completely dead by the time they got to it. Oh, my God. They were just cleaning it, fixing the, the broken bone, and then leaving yeah. it at, as is. So it was kind of a mess. Um, yeah. But it ended up working out. I I left that place, and I went to another hospital, and that guy ended up fixing me, and his name was Dr. Smith. Fixing he, you post-amputation. Yes. So I when when I finished in Idaho with all those surgeries, all those nine surgeries, it was so mangled still that I couldn't even put a leg on. So I couldn't wear a prosthetic leg. What even, What part of it was mangled? Beneath the knee or at the knee? Like, they, they couldn't... Uh, Beneath the knee. So, yeah. so what ended up happening is on the day of the amputation, my doctor left town. Yeah. And he went and did a marathon in California, and he left it to his assistant to do this operation. And he's never done; he's never met me before, never done an amputation. So I had I had people operating on me who'd never done an amputation. So my leg, by the time it was over, it was pretty mangled inside. Like it was the not guy, your doctor who was supposed to cut your leg off split because he, he had a, he he'd been preparing for a marathon. Yes. So he let the doctor on call or the guy who worked with him do it. Correct. And he had never done it before. Correct. It was a mess. Yeah. So when it was all said and done, they I got it all casted. It was all finished. They got me casted, and they casted my leg bent, right? So when you usually if you cast someone it's like on the joint, yeah. you want to have it straight so that, at least for a leg, because if I take the cast off and it's bent, I can't right. wear a prosthetic leg. If it's permanently bent like that, yeah. you can't wear a leg. Uh-huh. But if it's straight, you could at least wear it and hobble along. Right. So they casted it bent, and when I took the cast off, my leg was stuck. And I had this guy trying to help me get the range of motion back. But when I got- Oh, because you still had the knee joint? I do. I still have my knee. So I I was trying to get that range of motion back in my knee. But he spent three weeks trying to, and I never got more than like three degrees of motion. And he was like, man, this is bad. Like, there's something wrong. Right. So I went and got it re-x-rayed, and there was bone fragments from when they took the leg off that float floated into my meniscus and it was jamming it was like imagine sticking a bone oh into it like a gear God. it was just yeah. jamming it yeah so i had that and then my fibula uh the bone on the side of your yeah. leg was dislocated it wasn't even in the socket so it was just floating in there Ugh. so and it was you weren't in pain i was if you, yeah. if you touched my leg with the slightest pressure even like just like the lightest touch yeah. it hurt yeah. it was bad so I I went to like the best guy in the united states he fixed me up and now it's i'm all good so so like 
at that moment, though, coming from the family you come from and being as athletic as you were, I mean, was there a moment or a week or a year where you were just sort of like, I'm fucked? And no, to be honest with you, when I was in the hospital, it was really strange, like events. I read this book called uh, Alex Zanardi is My Sweetest Victory. Uh, it's this race car driver named Alex Zanardi, and he lost both of his legs in a racing accident. So you read this when you after you lost your leg? I read it before, like like a few <laughs> right. months before right. I lost it. Okay. It was very bizarre. Like yeah. someone told me about this book, I read it, and yeah. then all of a sudden this happens. Yeah. So it was very weird. But I, it was honestly good that I read it because that was in my brain that this guy lost his legs, recame back, and he's killing it now yeah so that was one and then two i visually remember when i was nine years old uh, in vancouver on paycheck um they were they were also filming inspector gadget i think at the time your dad's movie paycheck yeah yeah actually i might be i might be mixing this up it might have been inspector gadget because uh when i was there there was a guy named casey peretti and he was wearing he has a right leg prosthetic below the knee yeah and he i still talk with him to this day he's an awesome guy very very talented stunt guy yeah. But he was wearing stilts, doubling Inspector Gadget with his prosthetic running down the street. So I visually remember that from when I was young. Uh-huh. And I thought that was so cool. That he could do that. That he could do that. And I thought his leg was really bitching. I thought it was so cool looking. And right. then when I'm in the hospital, that's all I was thinking about was how cool his leg was. And I'm like, I'm going to have one of those. <laughs> So I honestly, it bugged me a little bit, but it was more so my mom that was bugged. Like it bugged her bad. She freaked out. She was freaking out. Um, but it was all good. I told her it's all fine. As long as I can race, I don't, I didn't really care. Even if In I did car, as long as I could race a car, I didn't care. Yeah. So that was all I was, I kept asking the doctors, will I still be able to race? How can I, you know, how will we make this work? Um, you just weren't going to be able to jump off balconies and do flips anymore, right? But I didn't. I honestly didn't care because I knew my passion was cars, and yeah. as long as I could get back into a car and drive, I it didn't bother me. Really. Yeah. So, but do, are you able to do like physical stuff now? I mean, at this point, you are right. I can. I I choose not to. Yeah. Uh, just I just want to take care of it as long as I can, and ma- I don't want to mess up and break it and then be screwed. So you were 16 when that happened. I was, mm-hmm. and then you raced for a couple more years in the in the cars uh, until you're 18. So you got which foot is it? It's my left foot. So it's my clutch foot, which is very I'm very thankful for. That it was my left one. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Because, uh, like, what, you had to figure out how to punch a clutch with. Which honestly, so usually you use your your ankle when you're using a clutch. Sure. Yeah, you pushing down. But now I use my knee, so I just use like a straight leg motion. Oh, I see. Yeah, and yeah. I'll yeah, push yeah. the clutch down with a, with a straight leg kind of deal. So it's, I'm very thankful that I have my knee, and yeah. I'm very thankful that it's my left leg. If I go above my knee, I'll be in trouble because right. then I have to move my hip. Right, get. and if if you're strapped down in seatbelts in a car, it's very difficult. You're strapped down very tight. So, so you just had to figure out how to to work a clutch with your whole. Leg. Yeah, I I had to teach myself to move way closer to the steering wheel and the pedals. Yeah, I moved my seat way closer, and then I could reach the pedal without modifying it. Since, right, since I lost like. 10 inches of, of range with my ankle being gone. Right. So I just moved closer and now I'm used to it and I love I love the seat position. And are use, all so. are most of the cars that you drive when you do anything clutch cars? That's a good question. Um it really depends. Stunt driving is very you sometimes you get a really good car, sometimes you get a really bad car. Uh but most of the time they're automatics. Yeah. Uh especially with these new cars these days, a lot of cars aren't going they're getting rid of manuals, which right. is kind of sad. Um, I love. I would honestly prefer to drive a manual. They're just much more. You can get away with a lot more. Really, as a stunt driver. Yes. Mm-hmm. Why? So, for instance, like if you wanted to do a standing burnout, you get the wheels spinning. Yeah. If you're in a manual car, you can use the clutch and just drop the clutch and get it going. Right. right. But if you're in an automatic, 
Sometimes you can't even do it because they have- You got to punch it? Well, you could sit there and you put your foot on the brake. Oh, right. And then you give it full throttle. Right. But some of these new cars have sensors where if you're on the brake and the throttle at the same time, it'll kill all power. Right. It won't let you do it. Yeah. So there's you have to really work is around that, Isn't that part of the and, budget of the fucking movie to where they can fix the car so you can do what you need to do with it? That would be nice. Uh, Come on. You're just getting like <laughs> cars off the assembly line? No. You? So for Six Underground, we ha- all our cars were prepped. Like everything was was prepped very very well. Honestly, they uh, we had we went and tested the cars for a few weeks. We told them what we wanted. We had the alpha technicians come out. They worked with us on it, and we had them disable everything that they could yeah. to make the cars work what we needed to. And there was some things that they couldn't disable, but we got it working pretty well. Yeah, and we were able to do some cool stuff with it. So so when you start doing this, like who like you could drive fast and you could handle a car, obviously, but. Uh, now, was your dad a stunt driver? No, but he's a good driver. Uh, but he doesn't specifically do driving. But he was mostly motorcycles and jumping off things? That's when he first jumped into the business. He was in motorcycles, and that's he would crash motorcycles, jump them, do all. He was the motorcycle guy, and then he was learning other things, and then he was, you know, just turned into a well-rounded stuntman. And, what, and you... His other... You have an uncle who's doing it now, too, as well. Brian, right? Yes. What's his specialty? Right now, it's directing. Uh, right, but, but he, before. He would do everything. I mean, oh. he was just... there. So... The Smurfs brothers, Greg and Brian, they were very good at rigging. So by that I mean, if you see like superheroes flying through the air and yeah. they're on wires, they're very, very, very smart, and they can look at that situation and figure out what to do. Okay, and that's what they did. Like my dad did it on Ghost Protocol with Tom Cruise on the Burj Khalifa. Yeah, they had to have all these cables and cranes, and it was it was wild. I mean, it was how, where do you, how do you get a crane a half mile up? Uh, they had have... they had like they had trusses inside, and they had all these. It oh. was I I don't know very much about the rigging and stuff, but there was all kinds of so safety almost like uh, everything. You have to wild. be like almost like an engineer. Yes. All right. So here you are. You you've got you know you've got the leg issue. You're coming out of racing. Your dad's a you know one of the most successful stunt your dad and uncle stunt guys in Hollywood. And you're like I want to do stunts. How does that start? How do you get your start? So I was very fortunate that my dad was a stunt coordinator right. at the time when I jumped into it. And he hired me onto a movie called The Surrogates. Yeah. It was a Bruce Willis movie. And I worked on it for a couple of days. And after like the fifth day, my my dad walked up to me and he pointed to a truck and he's like, go get in that truck. You're crashing it. And he's like, are you cool with that? I said, yeah. He's like, okay, go get in it. You're, you're setting up to do it. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, I'll have Russell help you get your belt sorted and you're going to go in about 20 minutes. The seatbelt. Seatbelt. So you put like these special, you don't wear the regular seatbelt. You put like racing harness. So this is a big opportunity. What were you doing on the set before that? Just driving? Just stuff? driving. It was called nondescript driving, ND driving. So I was doing some of that, watching other people do cool stuff. And then. But when you, I got... did you know how to like spin a car out and all that other shit? Well, so I was a good driver right. as far as racing and stuff right. and driving quickly. But yeah. as far as stunt driving, no, I was right. very new and it's very different. And I thought that I was a good driver, a good stunt driver, but I wasn't. And I was, I would go in and I would try something and it was, you know, it would be scary. I could do it, but it was very out of control. So, now it's to the point I've learned that stuff and I can do both. But right. when you get off the racing circuit, you think you're really good. <laughs> right, right, of course. So when your dad says you're going to crash a truck, you didn't know really how to crash a truck. No, but he, uh, but there was <laughs> some very talented, you know, stunt sure. drivers and stuff on set. They gave me some pointers. How do you um, crash a truck? So when I, I only had a lap belt in for yeah. this one. So when I was going into it, I kind of braced my, my arms. Big truck? It was a Chevy Avalanche. Okay. So I braced my arms on the steering wheel so I had something to you know push off. And then I tucked my chin to my chest. Yeah. 
and it helps with the whiplash once you actually hit the car. Yeah. So if you're ever in a going to get into a car accident that you know you're going to crash, duck your chin. It helps. Yeah. Okay. Um. And yeah, but the thing was with with this one was it was a blind intersection, so we couldn't see each other. We were behind each other like buildings. Yeah. So we had to have someone do a countdown of five, four, three, two, one, bam. Yeah. So and we had radios and we were listening to that while we were driving up. So it's it was just one of those things with racing. I had good timing, so that yeah. that helped. Yeah. Um. But as far as hitting it, it uh, something like that, doing a T bone, it just kind of takes balls. You just kind of got to man up and do it. Yeah. So I think that was the test he threw you me into it. You were getting T-boned or you were T-boning? I was T-boning. Yeah. Which was very Better. which was good. Better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so that was good. I ended up doing very well. Did it 3 times. They had to they messed up on one of the shots with the effects Is that the three different trucks? Uh let's see. I think I went through two trucks. Okay. Um the second angle they were looking differently. They were able to do it twice. Now when when like that was the thing I talked about Shauna. She really had to learn or teach herself uh, how to be fearless. I mean, was is that something you had to reckon with? I think racing helped a lot oh, right. with the with the fearlessness. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's fearlessness or stupidity. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah. like the racing I was doing was very serious. There was a lot of very competitive drivers when I was racing, mm-hmm. uh, and they're all racing IndyCar and everything right now. They're right. killing it. They're winning everything. Um, so that was racing very fast company. Yeah. Uh, and we were all very aggressive yeah. racing. So as far as driving quickly and being around things that are moving very tight spaces, I was used to that. Right. Um, but as far as fearlessness, like crashing a car is completely different. Yeah. Um, I don't really think about the crash at all. Um, I've like, personally, I feel like I've lived a pretty cool, good life and stuff. So if something happens, it happens, but we take all the safety precautions and we don't, I don't really think about that. Um, what I'm thinking about what's going through my brain when I'm about to do it is where am I going to hit my mark? You know, what's the timing? I don't think about the crash at all. Right. Um, I just think about where I, where I need to go, where I need to hit my mark and it all works out. The requests that happen that I guess the common requests for or 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 direction so you can crash cars you can roll cars you can you know do the peeling out business you can spin them around uh you can weave and like what like when someone says you got to roll a car what how do you do that so there's a few ways. There's these new uh, pneumatic arms that they're using. They're electronic arms. Oh, and they ju- just pump you right up? Yeah, so they have these. It's like a like a battery or what. I don't know how they operate, but there's like an arm underneath the car. Yeah. And you'll press a button, and it, it, retra- it goes out, and then it retracts immediately. So it'll sh- it'll flip the car, but it'll disappear when on camera. You oh, won't I even see. see it. Oh, right. So they have these pneumatic arms. Uh, the old school way, which they still do it, is is a cannon roll. So they actually have a bomb sitting next to you, and you'll press the button, and it'll it'll blow this pipe into the ground, and that pipe is completely loose, and it'll fly wherever it goes. Right. But that's what gets you up and flips you over. Okay. I haven't done one of those personally. I've only done the pneumatic arms. It's oh. kind of the new the new way that they're right. going about doing things now. Um, but that's how you do it, and you just have this button, and you got to time it right and flip at the right time. If you hit the button at the wrong time, you'll flip over, and you'll it won't look good. It you'll flip in a straight line, and it and you have to hit it at like a forty five degree angle. You hit the e brake, and you slide the car, and you get to a specific angle, and you hit the button, and okay. then it, and then it makes it. So flip. you just feel the angle exactly. Now, what's to stop the cab from crushing? You know, like 
So we have roll cages in there. Oh, okay, right. And we'll have, hopefully it's a good roll cage. Usually I'll go, I'll always go in and inspect it and look at the cage, mm. see what, see how the welds are and everything. And I have never personally seen a cage break. Yeah. Um, I've heard stories and stuff. So yeah. I'm very, very precautious of those when right. I look at them. Sometimes I've, I've seen a few cages and I'm like, eesh. I really? Know, I don't know if I want to do anything in that. So, but, I, but, like, but that happens? So what? whose fault is that? I mean, how do you determine that? I well, mean, so this one I'm talking about in particular, we were in India. Yeah. So they didn't have really any specialists as far as welders and stuff. It was kind of very- Low budget? Cheap, low budget. Movie? Movie, and, yeah. but it was you know it's India. It's it's kind of so it everything an, goes over there. But it, right, but it was an Indian production, it wasn't an American film shooting in India. It was. It was an American f- film shooting in India. Huh. And you would think so. The same rules don't apply because you're in India. Yeah, it's just it's a funny business. You know, there's uh, there's they try and crazy. save money as as best they can sometimes, and that's you know they don't think about. But it. But you didn't get in it. Well, no, this was not for me. It was oh. for someone else who was doing the stunt. I was just looking at it. I was like, man, yeesh. Did that's you say that to the he, guy? Yeah, he knew. He was like, he was like, yeah, I know, man. He's, but, but he did it? It's, yeah, it's just the stuntman's mentality sometimes. <laughs> you see it and you're like, well, I'm <laughs> here. We're doing it. So That's a little crazy, right? <laughs> it's just the way it is? It is, yeah. Now, when you drive cars off of things, mm-hmm. uh, how do you control? Like, I know this is just practical stuff, but I mean, so like, what what have you had to do in, in it, what's the most risky thing you had to do with driving a car off of a thing? Off, like, do you say like, uh, like off of a ramp cliff, or something? Cliff or, or a building or whatever. Like, you know, I haven't, I haven't. When, when a car is airborne, falling. Yeah. I haven't had to do that yet. Oh, you haven't? I've, I've done car jumps. Yeah. Car um, jumps. Like, what's like, like a... three foot ramps or something. Oh, okay. And that's pretty fun. And you just, you, again, it's like you, you have your mark and you just make sure you hit your mark and because you hit there's the right speed. You, once you're, do like, it's the same with the roll. Once you cut that angle and you hit that thing, you don't have any control over it. Right. You can't, there's nothing you can do in the car to, to make it go a certain way totally and the thing with jumps too that you have to be worried about is you can jump the car and the suspension could break and what if that happens i've heard stories of that where the the front wheels just completely pancaked and the guy's completely out of control can't do anything about it he's just along for the ride at that point yeah and so they'll so usually for stuff like that we'll have catch cars yeah with stump people in them so if the car is out of control they'll try and crash into them to stop them from hitting Oh, really? Camera people or buildings or stuff like that. So, oh, so they're all just there on set, just safety precautions, you know. And we'll have stunt people, you know, with the cameramen. So if something happens and they're focused on the camera, they'll yank them out of the way, stuff like that. So, so do you when you is your idea when you think about what you do? Because I mean, on some level, it's obviously life like death defying stuff, and you know, the, there is an uh, an idea that there is a possibility that you could die if there's an accident. Uh, obviously, it's happened in your family, and it's happened to you to a certain degree. Neither one of those events were on camera, but I mean, do you do you ever consider that? Well, I'm doing this. I'm putting my life on the line to entertain people. Or are you just so consumed in the task at hand that that really isn't part of it? It's just there's a stunt person, man, like kind of disposition where it's the stunt itself. It's not like, you know, like I could die trying to get this silly shot for this opening sequence. Yeah. So I don't honestly, I don't think about it as far as like an entertainment standpoint. I really, I really enjoy it. I love crashing cars. I love drifting and driving and all that stuff. And I think it's cool to be able to like go to Florence and drift a car in the streets. Like it's just super cool. Drifting, that means like just like when it's sliding a car and just you're crashing in the streets of Italy. It's just rad. It's super cool. But like every one of those pieces, just you driving around that fountain that it was, 
with the other cars chasing you. That's a day's. That's a whole day, right? It well, yeah. So we, I mean, working with Michael Bay, he does. He'll have like fifteen setups. So that was literally we would be there for thirty minutes, get that shot, and then move on to another location and do it all over another shot. He goes that quick, very fast, moves very very quickly. He doesn't. He does not mess around. He knows exactly what he wants, and he wants it done now like you know he's very serious and yeah. if, he, if he gets it done he's a super happy camper so you, were there any accidents that were unplanned there was no accidents that were like accidental we did not wreck any alphas on accident which was great so yeah very thankful for that there seemed to be an awful like i have to watch the rest of the movie but there was a lot of cars after you guys I and mean, it seemed like the entire country was after you. there was a lot of cars <laughs> <laughs> there was and uh, they didn't even show them all. There was seven cars chasing me when we were doing the Italy scene. I there was it was and it was you can see them, but like for most of the chase, we had I had like seven other stunt guys chasing me two feet behind me. It was pretty cool. And like, were, was, were the Italians generally excited about it? Or? They were so stoked. <laughs> they were so happy we were there. Is the Alpha an Italian car? It is. Yes. Oh, because so, mm-hmm. so I, and I imagine it works as somewhat of an ad for Alpha. Yes. <laughs> Which we I honestly didn't even think about it until yeah. I saw some of the shots and I'm like man like like the shot drifting around the fountain with the uh, right. with the Duomo in the background I right. thought was cool like yeah and that's perfect for, a, for who's a the guy who was jumping down the Duomo man what was his name um, he was a free runner uh, so he's real he's sort of a stunt guy the actor is he was not a stunt guy he was yeah. well so the actor who did what's a free runner. He uh, like he'll go out and do flips around walls and over railings and he'll oh, right. do like these crazy flips right. and tricks. Those are, like tricks but there was a stunt guy that had to run down the dome there. Yes, but it w- he wasn't actually a stunt guy. He was brand. He, they they hired a free runner, and he was willing to do it because that's what he does. Right, it's heights and stuff. And he so we got him his SAG card, and that's that's how he got into it. So it but, he wasn't a stunt guy per se. Right. But, but he, he knew was, how to do that. He was very. That was he was the guy for the job. But so. he had ropes on, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> and just... honestly, uh, from what I heard, I wasn't yeah. there for a lot of the stuff. Yeah. But I'm friends with the people that were rigging for them and yeah. making them safe. Yeah. And they didn't want ropes most of the time. They wanted to do it free solo because they thought the ropes were going to get in their way. Yeah. But once they learned and they were t- told like, hey, these ropes aren't going to be in your way, and it, you can do anything you can think of because you're not going to die. Right. You know, and that got them like, oh, okay, like, right. we'll do it. And, that, and then they fun. loved it. And they yeah. were like, then they were doing some stupid cool stuff. I don't know if you saw it at all, but once you get deeper in the movie, they're doing some pretty great, like yeah. the free runners, they were, they were on it. They, I thought they killed it in the movie. Well, I mean, it's, it's a weird sort of thing, but it seems like a lot of these extreme athletics that people enjoy or that people come up doing, you know, kind of sets them up for a career like this. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the more of these kind of movies they make, whether you like them or not, there's like plenty of work for people that are willing to do this shit. Absolutely. And that's that's what I was getting at before is yeah. it's kind of turning into a business of specialties. So yeah. like my right. specialties driving. Yeah. If they need a skydiving sequence and they don't have a guy that looks like the actor or whatever, they could go find someone that's a pro skydiver and bring him in and give sure. him a sag card and then bam, he's in the business. There you, you know? go. You're, so it's it's pretty it's a pretty open business right now, but it's it's kind of turning into like a talent based, you know, like what's your talent? Well, specific, you know. Right. So now with driving a couple questions. What happens to all do they do they re um, do they use the parts? I mean, like, it seems like you got a lot of pieces of cars everywhere. I mean, now, did someone come along and, you know, kind of repurpose that shit? Like the, like parts that break off or whatever? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, engines and all this other shit. I mean, where, where does all that stuff go? I know it's not in your pay, it's not in your purview or whatever, 
But some, what happens to all the cars? So from what I understand, I don't know 100%, yeah. but I think most of those cars, they get crushed. They can't sell them legally. Right. Um, so I think they just get crushed or they'll get brought for like show cars. For right. Like, you know, but like you would Netflix think that pre- you know, some so. crazy like, you know, car guys would just pull the parts out, you know, the engine parts and whatever. I, yeah, you know, I uh, wish. I don't think he, I don't think he can. Oh, really? It's yeah. a legal thing. I think these cars were given by Alpha oh, and I it see. was it was more of like a here you go. And but I don't it's like a legal thing. They can't they can't legally take the stuff. And, sure. And use it kind of right and in terms of back to the sort of manual stick versus um automatic because i learned how to drive on a stick because i wanted to know how to drive on the stick now like do you in in general why do people prefer like is it a better car like a manual car so my personal opinion of it i love driving a stick shift for the fact that i feel more in tune with the car right it's you're you're using it you're shifting the gears you have control control of everything right that's why I like it, and I like I really like. There's a few other reasons, like they're they're small reasons, but like if everyone drove a stick shift, there'd be way less texting and driving. You can't. It's way <laughs> harder to text when you're driving a stick shift. Are they still doing it in Europe? Is it is still are most of the cars? Oh yeah, they, I don't think that'll ever change. Europeans love stick shifts. They don't want anything to do with automatic. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And in terms of like, what car do you drive normally? My daily is a 1991 BMW M5, and that's BMW. yeah. They only make those in stick, so yeah. that's and most of my cars are stick. I have a few like my I drove my truck today. That's automatic. But yeah, it really depends. Like for me personally, if my leg's not feeling great, I'll just drive an, my automatic. Right, and, you know. But it's that's that's mostly what I go. So you don't have, do you have any old American sticks? I don't. No, I'm a BMW fanatic. I collect old 1980s and 90s BMWs. You like Beamers, huh? Mm-hmm. They're just good cars. They just handle so well. They're just really? the thing is, is they're very high maintenance and they break a lot. Yeah, but they drive when they're working. They drive fantastic. They're really? such good cars. Yeah, better than anything else you've ever driven. So here's the thing. Yeah, after driving on six hundred ground in that Alpha, the yeah. Julia, it handled very much like an M3, and I really, really like that car. If yeah. I, I would honestly buy one. Um, but the I would want the one that we had in the movie that had all the electronics, everything turned off. <laughs> right. So, but that car was amazing. When yeah. we had it dialed, that car was solid. Did you see that Ford Ferrari movie? I did. I actually worked on it. You did. Mm-hmm. So, what'd you do on that one? I drove a 1957 like Porsche Speedster. It was pretty cool. So I drove one of those, and then I drove one of the red Ferraris in the scene where you're running to the cars when oh, yeah. the start of the Le Mans. Yeah. So I ran to the car, jumped in, and drove out. So that was cool. How the Ferraris drive? So I was fortunately in one of the best cars on set. Yeah. I was in one of the Ferraris that had the LS3 motor, and it had like 550 horsepower. That thing was wicked. Yeah. Uh, some of them were like were just um, show cars, like yeah. they didn't have good engines or right, whatever, right. just for just for to look good. But that one was fast, and I was pretty stoked to be in that for the day. So that must have been fun to do a period piece with the old cars. To be honest with you, that was one of the coolest days on set because just it felt like the set looked so real yeah and if you just focused on that one spot and didn't look around you it felt like you were actually at the 24-hour Le Mans it was pretty cool and those cars like I I mean like people are freaks for the old you know cars I don't know much about them but those Shelby's you know people love those things I guess there's not that many around no they're rare but you don't but you're not a car freak you just you just like your beamers and that's uh Yeah, I I'm not like specifically I don't know a lot about cars. Yeah. Just like the cars that I like, I'll learn about them and and yeah, yeah. BMWs are my favorites. Well, so. that's good to know cuz they like what about electric cars? Anything? So, I just drove a Porsche Taycan yeah. and that's the new Porsche electric car and that thing is wicked. Really? It is really cool. It's all-wheel drive, electronic. It's got like 700 horsepower. 
It's got like 600 foot pounds of torque and it is fast. Really? Oh man, yeah. I was blown away. Where'd you drive that? Uh, at the Porsche Test Center. Oh yeah. Um, do they do you are do they hire you to do that stuff? That was actually a test for an upcoming movie that we're going to be doing. I can't say much about it, but yeah. uh, it, it it was a fun day. Yeah, I just got to go out and drive it and have fun with that thing. So. Because now, like when something like that, not to name the movie, but is that the production company wants to use that? They're in they're in talks with Porsche to use that car. So and then you got to go try it. Yeah, and that's the thing. We just need to make sure it works, and if we can actually do stuff, and if not, then we'll work around it. And that's so when same you, thing we do with Alpha with Six Underground. Right. So when you go test it, do you spin it out and you know whatever? What's the thing where you where it just moves on the side? Yep. Yeah. So we were just in an empty skid pad and just throwing it around, see what it can do, <laughs> see how the electronics limit you, stuff like that. So, so and that's all day. Yep. I mean, it was it was uh, it was probably a couple hours long. That's fun, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And what what are what for you? What were some of the high points in terms of uh, you know the best rides you've had in films, like the the most like I know that Six Underground that looked like it was something, like to be in in Italy doing that. But what are some of the other ones that you did that were like fuck? Let's see. I did I did a pipe ramp for Fear the Walking Dead, the TV yeah. show. Yeah, and that was a pretty gnarly one. It was a, I was going probably fifty eight miles an hour. I was in a pickup truck, like yeah. a little two door Dodge Ram, yeah. and the pipe ramp was. It had a stop, like an eight-inch stopper on the top of it, so it was supposed to. I was supposed to hit it and completely stop, and then like it was supposed to look like a, like I hit a tree. Oh, okay. It was butted up against a palm tree. Yeah. And I was pretty nervous about that one, but I, you know, I, I didn't like I said, I didn't think about the crash or anything. I was just trying to hit my mark, but that was my first pipe ramp. Which a pipe ramp is what exactly? It's when you have this metal pipe that's yeah. like sticking up like oh, okay. six feet into the air, yeah. and you just drive up it and flip. So, and that's, you just, you just got to hit it and yeah. flip. And, yeah. and, um, the thing with pipe ramps is they're kind of unpredictable. Yeah. Whereas a cannon, you kind of expect what's going to happen. Pipe ramps, anything can happen. You have no idea. In terms of like whether you roll or just cra- whether, crashed a car. Yeah. Whether you roll, you could land on your roof, you could oh. land on the driver door, stuff oh, like right. that. Yeah, and yeah. that makes a difference yeah. from a height because the yeah. pipe ramps kind of, sometimes they'll get you pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen yeah. I've seen cars like 15 feet feet high and they'll land, you know, it depends how they land, but sometimes so that can ring you pretty The, the illusion is you're out of control and the car is going to hit a tree? Exactly. So that thing was, it was on a stopper up to a palm tree and I came in and I hit it and I I did, I think, two and a half rolls and I landed on the driver door and I bruised my ribs on that one. So that was one of the few times yeah. I've gotten injured doing a stunt. But that how was- it look? It looked cool. Yeah. I can show you later. <laughs> And so yeah, you're always busy. I try to be. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's been pretty busy for the last six months. I've been all over the place and very yeah. thankful. And but outside of uh, bruised ribs, no injuries. Outside of bruised ribs, no injuries. Nope. I've I've uh, on six underground. I jammed my thumb doing one of the crashes, but I was healed in about two weeks or and so. That was it. So that, so well, that's nothing serious. Well, everything's going good then. And now I imagine your dad's proud of you. I think he did. I think so. I, so he basically- We always me, have something to talk about. Yeah, yeah. He he threw me into the business and he kind of, he opened the doors for me and he kind of shoved me through the doors and said, if you want to make it, it's all on you. you yeah. Know? So I think he's pretty happy that I've made it as far as I have. He hasn't, he, he hires me and, and I work for him. Like I worked for him on Six Underground. He was the coordinator for that one. Um but I don't work with him too often. I, I've, most of my stuff I've tried to get on my own, and, and uh, so I think he's proud about that. On, on purpose you don't work for him too often? No, I think it was more on purpose from him. Like, yeah. he wants me to make it on my own. You know, he doesn't. He didn't want me to, you know, be... Right, be seen as the guy. Right. right. So, 
but you guys get along on set? Is there any? Oh, yeah. No, Always. there's no father son dynamic. Like, what are you doing? Get I mean, sometimes there is, you know, <laughs> but, but I usually, he's pretty knowledgeable and he's been around a lot longer yeah. than I have. So I usually try and bite my tongue and, uh, yeah, and <laughs> he's take it. Probably right. So. Yeah. Well, good talking to you, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. So that was Brett Smears. You can watch, uh, uh, any of the movies we talked about, but uh, the Michael Bay film Six Underground is out. You can watch out on Netflix. Soon, I will get the uh, the guitars out here. Boomer lives.